2: There is a great storm that is about to burst. It's about to burst over your life. How shall you prepare for this storm? There is also a great judgment that you are about to face. The judgment will be much worse than the storm. We face this great storm by turning away from all known sin, from all rebellion. We face it by being born from above and putting our confidence in the one who has brought the storm and who is bringing the judgment. And it is Jesus. We find in the book of Revelation, the sixth chapter, as I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, a rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. I believe this has already happened. I believe it's in the process. It is the establishment of a one-world government, and the Antichrist will soon arrive. What are these seals? These are the plans of Jesus Christ for the end times. It is how he plans to close out history, dealing with the wicked, dealing with the Antichrist, And those who oppose the kingdom of God. And so he allows this first horse of the apocalypse to gallop forth over the earth. And he has an attitude of conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. We are seeing the closing of this second horse of the apocalypse. As we watch what America is doing... And what Russia is doing in the Ukraine, what we have done in Afghanistan and Iraq, in Syria, we have been a house of war bent on conquest. And the Lord has given to the military large swords to kill many people with nuclear-powered weapons. Now, there are some who believe we are still fully in this second horse of the apocalypse. I don't think so. I think the wars, as I read Revelation, will continue. But I believe we are in the third seal. I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked. And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages. Three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. I believe what is referred to here is the great reset. And it will take place... Any day, I spoke with a friend yesterday, a neighbor. He is expecting a $1 million payout in the month of July. To be precise, July 7 to 15, he expects that money to be placed in his account, $1 million from an investment that he has made. He is confident that that million dollars will allow him to move out of the Washington area to a much safer place. He has big plans for that million dollars, and then he has several additional million dollars in investments that he's hoping to cash out. I can tell you today that that million-dollar cash-out, that multi-million-dollar cash-out, will not save him. Oh, he knows of Jesus. He would even call himself a Christian, but there is no evidence in his life that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. He has made his own security, and he is trusting in that security. At least he is honest enough to admit that he is trusting for his security in money and property and investments. Some of you, at a lesser level, are doing the same thing, and you're trusting that those investments, that those pensions will carry you through They will not. There is only one thing that can carry you through the coming storm. It is a storm stirred up by Jesus Christ. And he alone is the refuge from that storm. I read for you the fourth seal. This is verse 7 of chapter 6, Revelation Chapter 6, verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had, had been completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black, like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood-red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as large figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? I believe what we're seeing before the tribulation begins is the coming of the Lord Jesus. If you read in chapter 7, you will find these are they who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This was a, a countless number of God's people. There is a tribulation and then there is a, a great tribulation during the seven year period I, I look at all of this and I recognize that Jesus is totally in control of everything that is happening but let's be very clear about some things and that is that according to Revelation the sixth chapter under the third and fourth seal. Yea, under the second seal also, many will die. But even more will starve under the third seal, as the storm comes upon us with all of its fury. And in the fourth seal, the rider is named Death and Hades. He is a pale horse This is a time of great persecution of God's people, and many, many will be executed, murdered by the wicked. Don't think because you live in America that you will escape this trauma. We face death. Now, let's be very plain with one another. How do we face this coming storm, and how do we prepare for it? Every human person has had to make a decision about how they will prepare for their death. And we have, over the last years, 75 years, since the Second World War ended, we've had a very peaceful, rapid building of comfort and wealth. In America that is over now by the design of Jesus the storm is coming that will test every man's heart and the question is will you run to the place of refuge because Jesus is both the storm and the place of refuge When I turn to the book of Philippians, I begin to see some very important things that the Apostle Paul had to look at because he is now in prison in Rome, probably. And as he is in prison, he faces the possibility of being executed. This was not just some... Whim of someone's imagination. Paul was finally executed in Rome. History tells us he was beheaded, but he died in Rome in prison. He's looking at this realistically. And you and I need to look very realistically at the possibility that we could die in this storm that is coming. Don't imagine that you're going to be whisked out of here without facing a tremendous time of persecution and sorrow and hunger and want. You're not going to be whisked out of here. You are going to face yea, even the death of your physical body. Now, what are you going to do to prepare for that? Let's look at what Paul said about how he was positioning himself for the storm that was coming upon his life as he was a captive in chains in Rome, not knowing from one day to the next if, like John the Baptist, he would suddenly be taken out of his cell, taken to the executioner's chamber, and his head cut off. This is what he faced hourly, daily. When he woke up in the morning, he did not know that he would have another night of rest. He was facing imminent, Immediate death. We have become in the Western world very, very soft. We have not had to face the kind of persecution that men and women have faced in China or Nigeria or Vietnam or Saudi Arabia. We have grown very soft and very wicked in America. The churches have become apostate centers of entertainment and showtime, business, money-making organizations. It breaks my heart to look at the the leading pastors of our nation. Many of them are multimillionaires. The Lord is not pleased. He is utterly disgusted. And judgment will come upon these men and women. Paul positions himself entirely different. First of all, he has absolute confidence that God is going to work out his plan and that in the working out of that plan, he will complete the work of making holy those who are willing to hide in his sheltering wing. Now let's be very clear that hiding under the sheltering wing of God does not in any way mean that you will not go hungry that you will not suffer, that you will not be put in prison, that you will not be executed. It does mean that you will not suffer in the second death, that you will be welcomed with a well-done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. See, Paul doesn't know anything about sinning Christians. He says they're not Christian. He wants Christians to identify the fact that they must be pure and blameless before Christ that is not walking in any known rebellion or sin against the almighty verse 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What is the fruit of righteousness? It's the fruit of the Holy spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, this is the fruit of righteousness, of innocence. Now he tells us in verse 13 that he is in chains for Christ. He is in chains for Jesus Christ. Now he begins to address This issue. I will continue to rejoice, he says in verse 19, for I know that though your prayers and help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And by that, he does not mean deliverance from prison, he means salvation. I eagerly, he writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul is not a wimp. He's a man of God. There are also women of God, like Peter's wife, who willingly was crucified. For Jesus, I spoke yesterday of being absolutely sick at heart at the wicked flood of vile vomit that is erupting all over our country. It's time for those of us who call ourselves Christians to stand up and say, enough, stop it. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he's looking at the very real possibility that he is going to die for Jesus Christ. Are you ready to die for Jesus? And if you answer that question, yes, I'm going to ask an even tougher question. Are you ready to live for Jesus Christ? regardless of what anybody says to you, are you willing to single-mindedly give yourself to the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give your money, your time, your energy for the building up of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Not for the building up of some political organization called a church, an entertainment center. I don't mean that. I mean for real. Are you ready to participate with other Christians in intense prayer, intense sacrifice, intense proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Some of you are sitting on your million dollars, not recognizing that the word of God has to go forth in a rebuke to this nation. You think you have your little nest well feathered. The storm that is coming will tear your nest to pieces. Will you do what is necessary to come together with other Christians who are serious and who are devoted? And who are willing to live or die in Jesus Christ. He writes in verse 22, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Jesus Christ. Which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. He is confident in Jesus that he is not going to be executed, he is going to live. He will be executed later. And then he writes, whatever happens, if I'm executed, if I'm set free, if you face death and the loss of your property and the loss of your belongings, they're confiscated. If you face the loss of everything you have, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? That you recognize that all that you are and all that you have belong to Jesus. And so get down on your knees. Don't lay in your bed and pray. Get down on your knees. Go sit before the Lord. Acknowledge that He is your Christ, your Messiah. Acknowledge that he is your savior. Acknowledge that there are issues that you need to resolve in your heart before almighty God. And give those to him and allow him to resolve the issues. He says, then whether I I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. In other words, no matter what happens, no matter who comes against you, it doesn't matter. Stand as one man with the body of those sincere believers in Jesus Christ. Don't separate yourself from the body. Don't cut people off. Don't judge. Don't deal in hatred and and mistrust. But rather find an honest body of people and in that place stand firm in one spirit contending as one man with those other believers for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It was dangerous to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. All of the apostles were executed, except John. I think John was not executed because he took care of Jesus' mama. I love him for doing that. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. And then he spent those years on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner in deprivation. And then when he was finally released as the most dangerous man in the Roman Empire, he made his way to Ephesus where his congregation was waiting for him. Now, this is is very serious talk. And I can tell you now that if you live in America or you live in other parts of the world where we are losing our freedoms, we are going to suffer. And you need to prepare your heart now And get rid of your rose glasses and prepare your heart now for what is coming. For the storm is breaking upon us and the reset will happen very quickly and without warning. And your money will become worthless. Do you know how to touch the throne of God for food? and shelter. Do you know how to pray? I don't mean these little childish prayers. I mean prayers of deep intercession. And if you do, you will find yourself not so much praying for yourself as the Apostle Paul. He's sitting in prison. He is being threatened with execution, but he's praying for the church of Philippi. I'm not sure had I been put in prison like he was that I would be praying for the National Prayer Chapel. I might be crying out to God for my deliverance. But Paul had absolute confidence in the deliverance of God either in the body or out of the body. You too must be absolutely clear that you're not going to be consumed with the busyness of this age, but you are going to prepare your heart through fasting and prayer and the reading of the word and walking with God's people. You're going to prepare your heart by allowing the fruit of the Spirit to blossom in your life. Chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, oh, I have great encouragement having been united with Jesus Christ and facing the reality that I too may suffer death. If any comfort from his love, yes, I have great comfort from his love. I I love Jesus. Jesus and I know he loves me. If any fellowship with the Spirit, yes, I have fellowship with the Spirit day by day. If any tenderness and compassion, yes, the Lord has put tenderness and compassion in my heart. Do you have these things? Do you have unity with Jesus Christ? Do you have comfort because he loves you? and you know he loves you? Do you have fellowship with the spirit of the living God? Has he placed in your heart tenderness and compassion for others? Then Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. In other words, don't argue with each other. Don't accuse each other. Don't undercut each other. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. What is our purpose? Our purpose is not to build a new building. Our purpose is not to become somebody. Our purpose is not to fulfill our bucket list. Our purpose is to participate in the building of the kingdom of Almighty God. He says now do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing so quickly destroys relationships and churches. A selfish ambition. I want to be somebody here. I'm important. Listen to me. I'm in charge. Really? I don't think so. Vain conceit. But rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, sacrificing yourself to make sure that others are okay, that they're fed, that they're housed, that they're walking in Jesus in full, wonderful confidence in his love and in his mercy. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. To be of one soul. Of one mind. Acting together in concert with the body of Christ. With the attitude of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what his attitude was, go to Matthew. Read what is called the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The first beatitude. Consider yourself nothing. Don't consider yourself to be somebody that everybody should bow down to, that you're the keeper of the right and the wrong. No. We should have the attitude of Jesus Christ. I have time. I'm going to just turn very quickly to Matthew. You know, I used to hate it when my father would say to me, Raymond, you have a bad attitude. Now go to your room and stay there until your attitude is changed. And if you don't change your attitude, I have a strap that will change your attitude. Oh, dad was big on attitude. Jesus is also big on attitude. Blessed, this is chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why are they mourning? Because they have no power to help themselves, and they're in a desperate place. Blessed are the meek, that is, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is saying the same thing. Apostle Paul is just teaching what Jesus taught. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I just read you the attitude of Jesus. He continues, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. This is called by theologians the cascade of God's love. He being in the very nature of God, literally he being God. But he left his position in heaven and came to earth as a working man, as a humble man. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. There's nothing uglier than a man or a woman who is constantly trying to grasp power and recognition, constantly arguing, constantly fighting. This is ugly to Jesus. He was in the very nature God. But he did not grasp after God to be equal with him. But made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. You want to get ready for the coming storm and the judgment that's to follow? Then make yourself nothing. Give up your pride. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I was raised in a very poor family, and I went off to boarding school. My parents insisted that I go to a place called Mount Vernon Academy. They agreed that I was called to be a pastor, and to do so I needed to go to academy and college and seminary. And that's what I did. But I learned a lesson very early. Because I was poor, because I didn't have the clothes that others had, because I killed the king's English at that point in my life. I was scorned as a farmer boy wearing bib overhauls. And one day I was down in the kitchen where I worked half a day, and went to school half a day, for I had to earn money to pay for my education. My parents helped, but I had to earn a certain amount every month. That meant a certain number of hours, and they paid me all of 25 cents an hour. I was in the kitchen mopping the floor, and suddenly the... CFO of the school walked into the kitchen and he was dressed in his nice suit tie he was an extremely arrogant man I didn't like him because he was so arrogant but suddenly I felt utterly ashamed to be dressed in my clothes of the farmer boy mopping a floor like a servant And I was so ashamed. Later, thinking about it, and when I talked to my father about it, he said to me, Raymond, never be ashamed of being nothing. Never be ashamed of being a laborer, a man who mops the floor. Never be ashamed of honest work. And my whole attitude changed. And I took pride in mopping those floors and in scrubbing those pots and pans. Jesus made himself nothing. That day my my father opened his big black Bible and he read this passage to me who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but making himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, or the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, but not the death of a warrior. He died the death of a criminal on a cross because he took upon himself your sin and my sin. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I want you to catch that. You want to prepare for the coming storm? You want to be safe in the coming storm? then prepare for the great judgment day. Don't prepare for the storm. Prepare for the great judgment day, and you will be prepared for the storm. It is not the storm that we must fear. It is the great judgment that comes after the storm. Jesus is both the storm and the judgment. And every motive and every action on your part will be judged before the throne of God by Jesus Christ. Prepare now. Not just for the storm, prepare now for the great judgment when you will face your attitudes and your actions. Do everything without complaining or arguing, verse 14. Oh, some of you love to argue. Without complaining and without arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of God in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I don't want to be ashamed on the great day of the judgment of you who have listened to this broadcast. Don't make me ashamed of you. I tell you now, I am ashamed of many for they have gone their own way. I do not want to be ashamed of you on the great day of judgment when I have to stand and watch you go to trial. And the Lord says, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life because you were a worker of iniquity. You walked in darkness. Depart from me. I would be broken hearted if that happened to you. It is not for us to look out for our own interests. It's for us to look out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Prepare now for the storm. By preparing for the judgment day. If you're prepared for the judgment, you're prepared for the storm. Jesus will tell you what to do, what to buy, where to go, where to live. It will require some of you moving, even great distances. It will require a great sacrifice on your part. But is it Jesus Christ that you want? More than anyone or anything else. Prepare now for that great judgment day. For it is rushing upon us. We're out of time for this broadcast. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to walk with the National Prayer Chapel and prepare for the judgment, then I invite you to come on Sunday, no matter what the distance or what the cost. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find directions. We're a small group, but we're a serious group, and we pray. Come and pray with us. Now, I want to thank each of you who has given this month that we could cover the cost for this month's radio bill. Thank you to each of you, Dirk. Thank you. And also to Mike and Michael. Thank you. And to many others. Thank you. God bless you. Write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. Also go to our web page nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com You can listen to the YouTube's and if you're on the YouTube, please subscribe. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Prepare for the coming judgment. I'll talk to you soon. The IRS...